0: Mo, come here, buddy, you're going to be in the movies. And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth
1: grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. There's a saying, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? It's a nice thought. But the truth is, more often than not, the only way to lose your fear of failure is to fail. And sometimes that means to fail big. Just ask Julie Wainwright, one of the most visible faces of the early days of internet e-commerce, who turned monumental public failure into stupendous success. She's petite and powerful, and has tackled enormous challenges to become one of the most influential players in the world of online commerce. We could talk about her platinum resume, from Clorox to the massive turnaround of Berkeley Systems to Real.com, But it was Pets.com that left a mark, in more ways than one. Too young to remember Pets.com, eh? Well, think of it like Chewy, but in Wainwright's own words, more interesting. It also was ahead of its time, the poster child for the exploding internet e-commerce boom of 1998. Pets.com was everywhere, including a Super Bowl commercial. They went public. And 268 days later, they closed their doors. All of this went down as Julie's personal life was taking some pretty hefty hits, too. So what did she do? She turned inward, took time, refocused. And in 2011, she came back with the real, real an online marketplace for authenticated resale of luxury goods. They went public in 2019. And today, they have a market cap of over $1 billion. Time and experience have been good to Julie. And today, in addition to her substantial business success, she has a kind of glow, something intangible, and something she credits in part to a lot of personal work, and also, to the dogs in her life. In this episode of Talk Unleashed, Julie shares her view of connection to animals, creativity, and the importance of play in all things. I'd like to start with the animals and dog influence and kind of winding the clock back and and the lessons you've learned there and really talk about this, less about the what of what you've done and really about the why and the how and how that's brought you to where where you are today and how, obviously, animals are a persistent thread through that for you. So, so I'll start with the first question, which is your earliest memory or recollection or most impactful memory of an animal in your life.
0: Oh, well, we always had pets. And um, we had Yorkies. So no, it's no surprise. I got a Yorkie. In fact, there's an, um, old, my dad was one of the first one on the blocks to have a video camera. And every video of us when we were kids has dogs wandering in and out of it. Uh, and so Yorkies, but we also had great Danes. So I would say there hasn't been, except for a brief time, Uh, When I was first starting my career, there hasn't been a year where I haven't had a pet either in my house or my own pet. And that and and I think it's Mm. just they're such amazing little creatures and they give you so much and they're always entertaining. And um, Mo in particular now, because my other dog, my other Westie, Betty, is so old, loves to play. Um, in fact, he as soon as Aaron came in today to join us, most like, here's my ball. Here's my ball. Do you want to play? Do you want to play? I mean, and he's a deeply damaged little soul. So, you know, the fact that he has all that joy when he has a, a scary past that I don't even know about, I just, I know the artifacts of the past is, you know, wonderful. And one of the things I love about animals in general, and clearly we're all animals, is they love to play. And I would say my, when I was growing up and my father's energy, my mother's energy had a lot of play in it, a lot of play. It could have been, let's all, you know, motorcycles. It could have been, um, tomato fights when we're cleaning out the garden, um, play tennis. I mean, there were a lot of... Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. Fights. Tomato fights when you're cleaning out the garden, like actually like, oh, wait, those tomatoes, they're a little overripe. Let's just throw them at each other.
0: No, it was more like, heads up, rotten tomato. And you know, that type of, and then we had to dodge to the rotten tomatoes, which is really gross when you think about it. But then, you know, that's <laughs> usually started by my father, by the way, he would be like rotten tomato heads up. And then you'd look up cause you're a kid and it would splat on your face. So and really gross. I mean, it was really gross. And then we had to be hosed down cause you couldn't, you just smelled it rotten tomatoes, but didn't put me off tomatoes anyway. But it was that type of, you know, um, when, a lot of play. Like my father and I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. And the first, I remember the first big snowstorm in a house where we had, and I was probably seven, where I remember was so big. And so my dad decided to build a complete sledding ramp off the, um, off the slide, but he built it and he iced it and built it and iced it and built it. So you'd literally go up the slide with your saucer, wow. take it, it would circle around the yard and he'd ramped it all up and then you'd end up back at the slide. It became like our own little snow carnival park, you know, our own little ride. So, you know, that's, some play is, Play, play or pup. play. To me, animals are joy and playful and simple. Maybe you can always, I always know what they want. Um, and it's cool to be able to, especially, I mean, I had Tyson was my first dog by myself and I got him in England and we had almost telepathy. And I remember looking, being worried about him crossing the street because he had such little legs and um, it, London's not a pedestrian friendly town. Um, and so I looked at him the first time we got to a corner and he, and I thinking and I was thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't have him behind me because a car could whip around and not realize I had a leash so because he wouldn't walk in front of me. So I looked at him, I thought, oh I should carry him across the street. And I looked at him and thought that and he literally jumped in my arms. And every corner he would jump into my arms. It's like he knew I didn't, I was worried about him on the street corner. He had never jumped into my arms before. So the fact that I felt like, it felt like I was talking to him at a different level. And we had that. So that little dog and I, it's almost like we knew what each other was thinking. Um, He's the only dog I've had that. About um, Mo is all about. you Well, Betty, in particular, if I can pick her up in a minute. She's all about what have you done for me lately? Um, So, in fact, I have a a series of products called Mad Betty, um, like baseball caps, because she's always a little mad at me because I haven't lived up to her expectations. But she's a lovely little. I mean, I love that. You know, you have like a 15-pound dog full of attitude that's basically like, you know what? you better work hard to deserve me because I'm awesome. (laughs) And I thought, oh, wow, we can all take a lesson there.
1: Yeah, it's like my uh, Harlow, the six-pounder, six-and-a-half-pounder. She is um, absolutely unapologetic for who she is, is absolutely comfortable in her skin, and doesn't take shit from anybody, doesn't matter how big the dog is. I know.
0: Don't you love
1: that? I love that. It's It's a lesson for, I think, all of us. So. You've talked a little bit about this, but thinking about, um, you know, so when you and I first met, it was of course when pets dot com was launched. I actually just found my t shirt. I just found my sock puppet t-shirt the oh, other day. I and I was that. I was actually a lot bigger of a girl then. So i thought, like, wow, that's a that's a great night shirt. I think I'm gonna yeah.
0: No, you do look really Yeah. Funny. I
1: uh it's funny thing happens when you um release emotional baggage in the experience I've had. When you release and slough off the things that you're carrying on an emotional and a spiritual level, it's a tectonic shift that I didn't feel happening at the time. I just kind of look back and look at the pictures. I look at pictures of myself from years ago, and you would have never thought I was heavy.
0: No, I would say you were average, but now you look tiny.
1: That is a word that somebody called me tiny the other day. (laughs) You're talking to me? And uh, yeah, I mean, four or six. I'm fitting in a four or six these days, which is... Even with COVID, I'm happy, happy.
0: Because you're tall, aren't you? Aren't you tall, too?
1: Um, it's funny that you say that. I'm only 5'5". Five five.
0: Oh, I always thought of you as, well, it's your stature then. I always thought of you as I, big tall.
1: Big, atti- big attitude oh, and um, in, hu- in humid weather, big
0: hair. <laughs> I do remember that, Well, we have humid weather. Lots Kathy. of big hair. So, Kathy, that's really interesting, isn't it? It's sort of like when you Mm -hmm. let go things. And so it doesn't sound like you went on a diet. It sounds like you just let go of stuff and it was natural.
1: And it just kind of fell away. And um, I had a friend say to me the other day, she looked at me and she said, there's something different about your eyes. And I said, she said, are you wearing contacts? I didn't hear. I'll take my glasses off. So like my eyes are the same. And she said, there's something different about the light in your eyes. (gasps) Wow. And I said, That's interesting. I said, can you tell me more? And she said, it's almost like your eyes were always clear, but that there's a a brightness, almost like when you look at a small child and you look in the eyes of a kid and there's that clarity, that brightness. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And I mean, the excavation work continues in my own world. And that's what I was noting before as we're we're talking. I mean, it may not be a pristine, high-definition connection we have, but there's a um, a groundedness to you that is that is so different.
0: It's been a um, interesting. I don't know where it came from. I don't think I've been a light the whole time of my life, but honestly, my um, kindergarten teacher said she's a light, so literally called it out at. As we've been getting out from COVID, I've had people come up and they said, I was attracted to you because there's a glow around you. And this big 49er football player and his wife came over and he goes, We noticed you because of your light. I almost fell over. I'm um, because first of all, that's a very spiritual thing to say. And I was at a business event and let's just sure. say that fact that they were comfortable saying that was, and it was clear. And I thought it was really something. Yeah. And unexpected. It's
1: beautiful. So, so let's, let's talk a little, how are you, how has, have the last years been? What's been going on and, and to what can you attribute that? Do you feel any different?
0: Well, sure. I think aging doesn't, takes a lot away, but what it leaves you with is maybe your essence, if you're lucky, and less tolerance to entertain things that don't serve you um, or serve what you want to do going forward. So I think you do shed, one does shed things. And and that's, I mean, it's not just wisdom. It's a... if you aren't comfortable on your own skin, by the time you're in your 50s or 60s, it, I've, you know, you still have a lot of work to do. There's still time. I don't want to say that hope isn't over. But, I, you know, part of it, I was born into a creative family. Both my, friend, both my parents were artists. As I said, they honored play. Play is a childlike thing. And I think as an adult, it can be lost just because of pressures or as a woman, it's not a normal attribute um, that's honored in the workforce unless you're a creative person. So that playful silliness, men can seem to be able to get away with it. Women don't, unless again, you're a comic or a writer or some other creative spirit. Um, But in the business world, it's not something. But I would say in general, I just, you know, it's the real real is an amazing company. We're in our eleventh year, so I we have a long way to go and a lot to do. But I love that. Um, I'm incredibly healthy, so I love that. A lot of my friends haven't been over the years, and I don't know. I just feel great. I I really feel great. I think it's, and during COVID, which was very hard uh, on our business and hard to be there. I don't know. I found. A lot of peace on being on the water. So I got on the water. And I would say that um, it's just things get easier when you get older. If you learn how to let things go. Something physically, if you don't have good health, it's harder. But I am lucky there. You know, you start realizing that your body really is a temple and you have to be really treated. You have to respect it. Regardless of the shape of your body, you have to respect your body and respect your um, potential mortality. You have to take care of it. I am so, we're so lucky. You know, you get up, you can walk, you can experience if you if you're lucky enough to have your health. Everything else sort of falls by the wayside. Nothing else matters really.
1: I remember I remember my mother saying years ago. I was actually I was very sick as a child when I was in my teens was di- I missed almost all of high school in terms of in person education, actually. I was diagnosed in my freshman year of high school with um, a a, a chronic case of ulcerative colitis, which they had never seen such a bad case in a teen. uh, You know, Inflammatory bowel diseases at the time were not as well-researched. I mean, you see Crohn's and colitis ads on television. So watching my diet and being mindful of my health was something that got enforced on me um, in my teen years. But then what happened in my case when I got into my early 20s and the disease went into remission and I was now out of my parents' house was, instead of going all the way into the healthy behavior, I went all the way the other direction.
0: But you know what, Kathy, that's awesome. Because you have to, you have to know. I mean, I think you have to know. And plus, you know, there's this whole, it's gonna, what I'm gonna say it sounds dramatic, but there's whole philosophy um, that as a child separates from their parents, which is really what you're doing and you learn about yourself, they have to kill the parents. They have to kill what was before, metaphorically, not physically, but you have so that's what you were doing. And then the key is some people never find their way back. I mean, you know, the key is to find your own rhythm, not just the opposite of what it was.
1: So let's talk a little bit. So you grew up with there was this joyful play.
0: Well, it wasn't all great because my mom had multiple sclerosis, so
1: correct. and that's actually where I was going. so talk talk a little bit about because that was a tectonic that was a a pivotal moment in in your life, certainly your family's life, the family experience. And
0: I don't think we understood it that well because back then that no the doctors didn't understand it very well and she went through about eight years of, it was misdiagnosed the first, ep, she had an episodic reoccurring MS. And it what meaning that she would get sick and then recover, but she wouldn't necessarily recover to the same level. And the first thing they thought she had encephalitis, but she didn't. And then, and that she was dying, but she didn't. When it was horrible, it was horrible because as the disease progressed, she lost control of her right side. She couldn't see for a while. She had split vision and ended up in a wheelchair pretty much by the time she was 50. But when it wasn't horrible, she was out and we all were out playing tennis and riding motorcycles and Having to make, well, she wouldn't participate in the tomato fights. That was my dad. She would participate in the hosing down of people with tomato juice all over their body. So, you know, it's a, but by, she had me when she was 20. So by the time she was in her late 40s, I was almost 50, uh, 30. So you think of, but now my younger sister, who she had when she was the last child, she had when she was 28, saw the really, the strong degradation of her body and mind. And so I experienced it, but I didn't live with it day in and day out. It, it's one of those things I'm not sure that our family as a whole really grappled with because we didn't have enough information. So, for example, at that time, doctors weren't sitting down or we couldn't find anyone to sit down and explain, is dementia associated with the drugs she's taking with MS or MS, and in fact, it is a known uh, factor. So I would say there was more confusion, and sort of, and then coping. I mean, the other thing that happens, which people do know who have parents who are experiencing some kind of either dementia or Alzheimer's, there are moments which are oddly enough very, very funny and imaginative. And you sort of just go with it. And you think, wow, the brain's an amazing thing. So, for example, I remember being with my mom and she was telling me how my father was studying with Izzy Mayak. He was in Japan studying with Izzy Meraki. And I'm like, really? She goes, oh, yes. And I'm like, because you can't, if you tell them that's impossible, it sends them into frustration and, and distress. And I said, well, what's he doing there? He says, well, he really likes his design. So, by the way, my father never, to my knowledge, ever thought fashion was something of interest. My mother always did. She wanted to be a fashion illustrator. Uh, And so I said, well, when is he coming back? She goes, well, I don't know. It's a big course. And I remember this like it was yesterday because we had this whole, it was semi-interesting conversation. And I thought, she must have seen a documentary on it she wanted to really go into fashion illustration and work in that world, which is fascinating given where I ended up at the rail rail. And, um, but anyway, so she had a huge, huge affection for fashion and for, she had loved to dress and love and her father was also quite the dresser and loved fashion as was her mother. So the fact that she made up this whole story to explain the reason my father wasn't with her that day, I thought was brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant. So, you know, there are moments where you're like, okay, well that was a good one, you know, and then you record it because you record it in your brain and talk about it. I'm like, okay, we heard a good one today, guys. This is a good one. She thinks dad's in Japan. So, you know, and of course that lasted until the next 10 minutes where he was someplace else and she was someplace else. But Yes, yeah, so I w- you know, it's a funny thing when when someone is that chronically ill and there's no cure, there's something in your brain that still wants to have hope for them but also knows and just goes into caretaker mode. It's sort of this at least in our family, it was a split like you still hope that a cure would be found but you recognized it never would be. And so you're trying to make their life as good as possible while recognizing that they're probably gone, even though they're with you, they're gone.
1: So, um, I know we have just a little bit of time left and, um, I, and this is probably a bigger topic than for the time we have, but I'm going to, I want to dig into it anyway. Um, so we'll fast forward, amazing career, Clorox, real. I mean, I could list your accomplishments and all of the amazing things that you've done, um, turning companies around, lifting them up. And, you know, with, and you, pets.com happened and other things happened in your life at the same time. And you went through um, a lot, to to put it mildly, and have re, and, and to the title of your book, Rebooted. So talk a little oh, bit yeah. about that was, that how did that period of time really change you?
0: Um, well, I mean, there's, I mean, it's such a multifaceted answer. Um, look, here's the, from a business perspective, it got rid of my fear of failure. And specifically when you fail publicly and you become this person or um, thing that people really want to spend time talking about then uh, in a negative way you your base. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years later, when I started the real real, or about nine and a half years later, you're like, okay, I've just, I've failed so publicly that and I lived and I'm probably better for it. I'm, you know, if this doesn't work, I'll be fine. So it eliminated fear that's an unintended benefit that i i mean for me it was an unanticipated benefit i think that um it made me more fearless i think that there was a lot of double standards on the way pets.com was covered versus other companies and the truth is it's all timing i mean chewy.com is pets.com and it's actually a little less interesting than pets.com was so you know, part of it's timing. Part of it, when you get older, you realize timing really is everything. It's everything for a relationship to begin, to a business to begin. You can have great, you can meet someone and think, I've never had this chemistry, the timing's off. You can meet, you can start a business and you can be off. So timing, sort of everything. When you get older, you add lighting. Lighting and timing <laughs> are really important. Um, but other than that, I would say it got rid of my fear. Um, what
1: about personally? Cause your, the per, your personal well, life went through I mean, a little bit of a tectonic shift at almost exactly yes, the same my, time.
0: My husband asked me for a divorce the same day that I shut down pets. So that was grim. <laughs> I would say that, you know, the, the thing about going through anything that is, devastating, and maybe not a, um, where you have a lot of public scrutiny, and in this case, a lot of finger pointing, because we sort of became the dot-com poster child, fairly or unfairly, I would argue unfairly, Um, then people, you know what's real, and the people that are with you and stay with you, you want with you. The people that don't wouldn't be able to there's always gonna be something. I mean, a company collapsing isn't the same as your body collapsing hmm. or someone having some some terrible thing happen to them physically or emotionally, even though that was an emotional thing for me. And so when you think like who you want someone with you in the war. You know, like in, you know, that it's down there in, in the dugout with you. And if things don't go right, they're still there with you. And people that aren't, aren't, they were there for you the wrong reason. So I can't say that, you know, it didn't leave scars because it did. But mostly it's good to go through things and come out the other end. Because you know what, I know what I'm, I know me. Better, and that's sort of your journey through life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Understanding yourself and and uh, self knowledge and self awareness are really critical to to living your fullest life. And you know, I don't know if we're going to have another one, but I'm assuming this is it. I'm assuming this is it. Not a, it. a, dr- not, a dress,
1: not a dress rehearsal. Did the level yeah. of resilience that you had? surprise you i mean look you're you were a successful businesswoman who had done many things and in a time when you know women weren't being successful in business they were secretaries they weren't executives right so sometimes being the only woman in the room and certainly and the most senior executive in the room in a room full of men you know like all of the all of the things you know that that you march your way through require enormous resilience enormous strength enormous fortitude. And then you get hit by personal things and very public things that happen. You have to dig even more deeply. Did you surprise yourself?
0: No, no. I would say um, women still don't, still are, you know, second class citizens. We have a long way to go. No, I wouldn't say surprise myself because, you know, that's like, I would say it's all a journey more than anything and that things build on each other. I think the interesting thing was the the one that I didn't, you know, I would stand up, I'd be like, wow, okay, Am I? this would have made me afraid or hesitant in the past and it doesn't anymore. So it was more about seeing this new person. It definitely affected me but in a way that it was almost like a discovery process um, on who is this new person that's emerging. And it's almost like another, I don't want to get too um, crazy here, but it's like, you know, there was a Phoenix aspect to it when things are burned, something else emerges out of it. And it was discovering what was that thing that was born out. And it's, it sort of, it became, I would say, you know, it's, I don't want to say better because that's judgmental, but it's different. And I'm comfortable with the differences. I feel really good about the differences, but it was, it really was sort of a Phoenix moment. I mean, if you look at different mythology, there is, I mean, it's sort of when there's, there's a story, there's a, ancient Sumerian story of the supreme goddess who was all light and her sister, her twin was all darkness and, you know, below and she was above and the evil sister, the dark sister, um, killed her and knocked her unconscious and brought her down to the world. And when she emerged, she integrated the dark and the light. So she did emerge, but she was no longer just one thing. And that's really the story of the Phoenix too, even though something else emerged and it became, even though that's more about transformation, it still is integration. You can't have transformation without integration. So yes, I would say whenever you go through anything, you have a chance to, to integrate and emerge something different. And that's that's a gift. You know, back to the beginning, Kathy, and we're sort of running over here. I think there's nothing like an animal to be your companion, be your buddy, and teach you all at the same time. You know, it, um, it they're they're completely dependent on you, and and yet, on a weird way, I think people that really love animals are dependent on them too. So there's nothing like a little buddy or buddies to help you move forward.